All right. So this morning, we're going to be in the book of Ruth, and uh, Ruth might uh, seem a little different. It's not your typical Christmas text, but I think as we dive into the book of Ruth, you'll see that it's very much of a story that is fitting for Advent. In the book of Ruth, we see one who is cursed, set apart from God, and God sends a redeemer to Bethlehem to restore her. And so in doing so, he paints a picture of what he has done for us. The book of Ruth is a beautiful love story. It's a short story, but it's meant to paint a picture of the Father's love and to remind us of his sovereign purpose and the wisdom of his ways, even in times where it doesn't make sense to us. As humans, we never see the full picture of what God is doing in the background. In the midst of our afflictions and our hardships, we we don't always understand how God is using those to make much of himself. But because of Jesus... We can know and rest assured that he is relentlessly pursuing his children and all things and that he is forever on our side. And this morning, we're going to start off by looking at verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read that and we'll talk about it. In the days when the judges ruled there, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Milan and Chilion. And they were Aphrodites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went into the country of Moab Moab, and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. And they took Moabite wives. And the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Milan and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and without her husband. This text takes place, the story is taking place in what's described as the day when the judges ruled. The story, this time of the judges, as it's called, was a 400-peer period after Israel had, had entered the promised land. Under Joshua, before there were any kings. It was a time like after Joshua had led them into the promised land, there were no kings and there was just this 400 kind of year period of not a ton of authority. The book of Judges comes right before Ruth and it describes this season in chapter 21, verses 25. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Israel had forgotten the Lord. They had forgotten their Redeemer. They would cry out to God whenever the enemy came, and God was gracious, and he would defend them time and time again. But then once the enemy was gone, they retreated right back to what they were. Often, when we forget the Lord and what he has done, the most gracious thing the Lord can do in our lives is withhold the, 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 the graciousness that we take for granted. The little things that make us comfortable and we tend to confide in beyond him God can withhold those things that we might be turned back. That is loving discipline. In the same way that a parent might ground or take away something in order that the child might see what is right and true, so God does to us, that we might be corrected. And this is exactly what Scripture tells us is happening here in this text. There is a famine in the land of Israel, and the book of Leviticus tells us during this time why famines happened. In verse 26 of 3 through 4 of Leviticus, God says, if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in the season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. So 
this family knew full well what was happening. This famine was happening as God's judgment against a group of people that were living in accordance with their own ways. And they were well aware of this. And their response to this, instead of taking a, a season to embrace this righteous discipline and turn back to the Lord, Naomi's husband leads his family a different direction. He just leads them, let's just get out of here. Let's go away. The Lord is taken away and his solution was, we'll just go find somewhere else. And as we all know, you know, we're all studying the book of Jonah and our DNA groups right well. Right now, this approach never works out that way for God's people. And so they take off, they leave Israel, they head into the, they leave Judah, head into the country of Moab. And verse two through four describes this journey. Not only does he lead his family away from God, but he leads them to Moab, a pagan land filled with false gods. I want to, to set the tone for you know, much of our story. I want to tell you a little bit about Moab. Moab began in Genesis 19, verse 37. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. In this verse, we see Lot, the brother of Abraham, has a child named Moab. And this child was born to Lot through an evil, incestuous relationship that he had with his older daughter. So Moab cursed a terrible start from the beginning. It was very much started from an act of evil. And centuries later, we see the Jewish people are constantly oppressed by Balak, one of the kings of Moab. And then in Numbers 22 through 25, we learn that Balak wanted to curse Israel, so he hires this prophet named Balaam. You might know about Balaam. He has an interesting conversation with a donkey in Scripture. Balaam's job was to pronounce a curse on God's people, which he was unable to do. You might remember Balaam also from Revelation 2.14. We talked about that uh, just, uh, I think, a month ago. The church in Pergamum was still holding to the teachings of Balaam that he used to deceive Balak of Moab. Scripture tells us several things about Moab. In Jeremiah 48.11 Moab, we see this prophecy from Jeremiah. Moab has been at ease from his youth and has settled on his dregs. Jeremiah pronounces that there is a coming judgment on Moab, that they've had it easy up to this point, but that things are about to change. Later on, Jeremiah 48, 42, he gets specific saying, Moab shall be destroyed and be no longer people because he magnifies himself against the Lord. And then in Deuteronomy 23, three through six, we see the harshest kind of discipline. No Ammonite or Moabite will enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt and because they hired against you Balaam. So God says in Deuteronomy that because the Moabites not only sought to destroy and curse God's people, but then they also were evil against them as God was bringing them out of uh, Egypt into the promised land, God says, they will not be my people. They will not be able to enter the assembly. All of this is important because the verse passage we just read in Ruth tells us that it's amongst these cursed Moabite people who are distanced, unable to come be in the assembly that after the husband's death, Naomi's two sons meet their wives. Their wives, Ruth, is a Moabite, a member 
of a cursed people who God saw providentially fit, like he brought her together with an Israelite husband. And that's going to be an important thing to understand as we see the redemptive picture of this story. In verse 5, both Milan and Chilion then died, so that the woman was left with her two, with, without her two sons and her husband. In this text, we see that the sons marry Moabite wives, and then Naomi loses her husband and her two sons. And she's left alone to fend for herself alongside her two daughters-in-law. A famine, a move to a pagan land, the death of her husband, the marriage of her sons to foreign wives who, who worshipped different gods, and now the death of her sons. Naomi has certainly had a difficult road up to this point. But in 6-18, through 18, we see a picture of Ruth's faithfulness. I'm going to read to you now verses 6 through 18, and we'll talk through it. Then she arose with her daughter-in-law, daughters-in-law to return to the country of Moab. For she heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. This second section of Ruth 1, it starts with Naomi finding some encouraging words. As a widow, finding a means to provide would be next to impossible, let alone to provide and care for two additional widows. So when Naomi learns that the Lord had been gracious to give food to his people again, notice that she recognizes how she knows that God took away, that he caused the famine, and she recognized fully that he has now responded in mercy to bring it back. She makes the decision to return home. It's important to realize that even when Naomi has walked away from the Lord, she still knows the hand of God when she sees it. 
And so 8 through 13 that we just read is Naomi making an appeal to her daughters. I, I, I can go. I'm going to go. I'm going to find food. You return to your families. Go back to your households that they might take care of you. I have nothing to give to you. We learn something here about Naomi's heart. Naomi is grieved beyond words. She believes that she no longer has anything to offer. She, th- these women love each other. Naomi doesn't call them daughters-in-law. She just calls them her daughters, and they weep at the thought of being removed from another. They've been together for 10 years. They've experienced so much together. But Naomi believes she has nothing to offer. She believes that the daughters would be better off without her. In Naomi's mind, the Lord had forsaken her. And by following her, these women would be following her into nothing but more pain. Naomi believes that the Lord has cursed her, there's no good to come, and that it would be to their demise to follow her. But Naomi's forgotten. She's forgotten where she came from and who she is. While she recognizes the hand of God's provision in terms of the the food that he's provided, she's forgotten her story. She has forgotten the Lord who rescued her people. She has forgotten the very truth of Advent, that the Lord has kept his promises. In fact, God had a plan to rescue Naomi and Ruth. But in the midst of grief, Naomi is unable to clearly see the hand of the Lord working in her own life. When we think the Lord has abandoned or forsaken us, we tend to exaggerate our hopelessness. That tends to be just part of our condition. We're unable to clearly see the Lord's faithfulness, and that's part of why we need the church, because we need to be reminded how quickly do we forget what the Lord has given us and the times He has been there and the times He has fulfilled what He said He would do. One day, Naomi would see that the Lord had blessed her with these daughters for a reason. That Ruth was a testament to God's grace and love for her. And that he provided food to his people so that Naomi, a daughter of his, might return home. That he's doing something in the midst of all of this brokenness. And that in Bethlehem, he would send a redeemer to redeem her. And that What she would not even realize in her lifetime is that the Redeemer that's going to come and restore all things for Ruth and Naomi and Bethlehem, they don't even know in their lifetime that that is a picture of the Redeemer who would come and redeem all of us in Bethlehem. God's doing more things in the midst of our hardships and trials, not only than we can see in the moment, but that we can see in our lifetime. But for now, Naomi is bitter. She's unable to see what is true. So in tears, she pleads with these daughters whom she loves to just leave her to grieve. And Orpah leaves, not only returning to her family, but she returns to her gods. Ruth, however, Ruth won't leave. She clings to her mother, and she is assured, like there is no no beautiful case made as to why she should do this. She, Naomi pretty much guarantees Ruth, if you come with me, widowhood is what you're going to find. Childlessness. You're going to have to leave your family behind. You're going to leave your own home. We're talking about leaving Moab where Ruth has lived her whole life. But Ruth insists that she will go anyway. And in verse 16, we see why. 
Ruth says, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. Hear this. Like, it's easy to see Ruth's love for Naomi. But Ruth's love for Naomi is rooted in something deeper. Naomi has been captivated by the true, Ruth has been captivated by the true God of Israel. And so she's identifying, not, not only are, am I with you, but your God, the God of my husband, he is my God. And I will go where he would have me to go. Naomi has just testified that the hand of the Lord has gone against her. Naomi does a great job of trying to portray God in a way that he is not. She's saying, this Lord that you you would follow with me has forsaken me. But Ruth, she desires to go forward anyway, to forsake the religion of her family and to declare, your God shall be my God. She desires to be counted amongst God's people and to follow the God of her husband. We don't know how or when Ruth's heart changed. Perhaps it was in this very moment. Perhaps when faced with the ultimate decision of going back or or going forward where God had called her, the decision that we all face, perhaps it's in that moment that she chose to fully embrace God's mercy as he had been working on her. Or perhaps she had made that decision a long time ago as she heard her husband tell stories about God's faithfulness to the Israelites. Either way, her faith is now in the one true God. And that faith has manifested itself in a devoted love to the one who had nothing to offer her. Naomi has nothing to present Ruth. But Ruth's love reflected the truth of how Christ would describe true love. In John 15, 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Ruth's love for Naomi testified of a greater love that she had experienced as God is pursuing her. And so then, the last section of our scripture today, they move forward, they head into Bethlehem. Verse 19 through 22 says this, So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? And so Naomi returned. And Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. I want you to consider this morning two things. This, this morning's a little different. This is a pretty large passage of Scripture, and it's more of a story. So most of what I'm doing, I'm just, I just want you to hear this story that's written. I want you to hear two things about Naomi's testimony. Number one, I want you to be encouraged by Naomi's transparency. I will take the Lord has dealt bitterly with me over, yeah, everything's fine any day of the week. Like Naomi, you need to be known. 
And that starts with knowing yourself, being able to be honest with yourself about your doubts and your hurts and your griefs. And then be honest with those around you. God doesn't need you to protect him. He can handle your doubts and fears. That's what this is, the Psalms are all about. We were just talking about that this morning. Like you read in the Psalms and you come across and sometimes it's, it's uncomfortable. Like David, you can't say that to the Lord, but he does. And God puts it in scripture and says, that's okay. God rejoices in Naomi's ability to be honest about where she was. So much of our American culture is, is painting a picture. Like we need to come to church and present a picture like everything's okay, even when it's not okay. And then everybody's shocked and shaken when divorce happens, when somebody leaves, when there's things. Like we need to be able to come and God encourages us to be able to come and be real. The Lord has dealt bitterly with me is a human emotion that many of us are familiar with. Naomi is honest about her grief, and that's a good start. But Naomi's forgotten the word of God. She's lost sight of his promises. She's forgotten that Joseph was sold into slavery, that Jonah was thrown off the boat to die, that Moses was run out of town, that as we read this morning, Sarah was made barren. In each case, These children of God had full reason to say with Naomi, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. And many of you have full reason to say the same. But in each case, the words of Joseph proved to be true. In Genesis 50-20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Naomi's lost sight of that. And the truth is that in the midst of our grief, we lose sight of that. And that's okay. That's why we need God's people. That's why we need God's word, that we might be encouraged and reminded of God's promises and his faithfulness. Naomi rightly understood that God is sovereign all over all things. But she needs to be reminded that he is merciful, that his ways are good. Neither she nor you are an exception to this amazing truth. Ruth and Naomi needed a redeemer. In verse 22, as we close today, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. In God's providence, he sent them back to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. In the Old Testament, the law was that during the harvest, poor people could glean. That was a part of Old Testament law. And this meant they could go behind the harvesters and they could pick up whatever they dropped. Or if the harvesters went through the field and there was anything they didn't cut off, poor people, those who were poor, could go behind them and they could cut off whatever was left. God would lead them into a field to glean. Well, they went into the field. Well, we're going to see next week, they go into the field hoping they can just find scraps at the table. What they're going to find is providential hope that God had something far greater for them. The story of Ruth, it begins and it ends in Bethlehem. And throughout this Advent season, it's important to remember that this was in accordance with God's providential goodness. Like Jonah, the story of Ruth is a powerful one. 
But it was never meant to be a standalone story. Too often throughout our lives, we, we learn these stories of Jonah and Ruth, and we kind of see them as these encouraging standalone stories. But when we dive deeper into these stories, we see that they're always telling the story of Jesus. That the story of the gospel is what the story of Ruth is all about. It was never meant to stand alone, but the book of Ruth is meant to point us to a greater story. Naomi returns home because she hears the Lord has provided for his people. Again, as we're closing, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this last connection. The term used in Ruth chapter 1, verse 6, when it says that God has provided for his people, the term used literally means he has given them bread. In many ways, this is the meaning of the term Bethlehem, period. The term Bethlehem comes from two words, Beth and Lechem, which Beth means house and Lechem means essentially bread, food. In the New Testament, what's the reason that the younger brother returns home? It's because he remembers that his father has more than enough bread. Christian, I want you to be reminded this morning that God has shown his grace to you in his son, Jesus the one whom the scripture calls the bread of life. He was born in Bethlehem, a city that we see was named for his glory long before they even knew his name. And he'll pardon the repentant, and he invites us continually to turn back to him, for the Father has more than enough bread for us. And then no matter how far off one might be, even accursed from God himself, all of us are under that same Moabite curse because of sin. None of us can come before the Father on the basis of our own righteousness. But God sent a Redeemer to Bethlehem who would come and live by the law perfectly. And not only live by the law perfectly, but he meets us and he offers us more than scraps. He bestows his righteousness upon us so that we are made not only forgiven, but heirs to the kingdom of grace. The younger son returns home because dad has more than enough bread and he just, he wants forgiveness, but God offers him something far more. The father meets him, puts a ring on his finger and a robe around him. And so, we will see that Ruth goes into a field looking for scraps and finds much more. And so might we during this Advent season. Would you pray to that end with me? God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a good and gracious king. God, like Ruth, we are... Uh, we are cursed. We don't have, uh, apart from you, we cannot come before your presence. Our ways are evil and self-serving. We're prone to selfishness. God, even our good deeds are often for self-glory. What we have to offer before you is, is the me, as our means for coming before a perfect king are, are mere scraps, the mere scraps. But you, God, being gracious and merciful, you promised us that you would provide a way. That you would provide a way for all people. And you fulfilled that promise in Jesus. Our perfect, righteous Redeemer. 
God, how gracious are you that you would allow that righteousness to be counted towards us. That when we, God, we might come before you, even this morning, we come before you in prayer solely pointing to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. It's in his name, Lord, that we can come before you. Lord, thank you for a redeemer. Lord, don't allow us during this season to be taken in by all of the various things that consume us. God, perhaps I I acknowledge maybe it's even your grace that this season we don't have all those things we have before. We don't have all the festivities. We don't have all of the comforts that we've had in years past. God, I, I, I have to believe that maybe in your graciousness, this stripped down Advent season could be an incredible grace on your end to point our eyes to that which is truly worthy of our celebration and our worship. Lord, would you make that so? Not just in our our church building, but, but in our homes. Turn our gaze to you. Lord, we know you offer us far more than scraps. Lord, what might we might we drink fully the goodness of the gospel? I love you. I ask these things in your good name. Amen.